This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Off hour two. This is Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We're coming to live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, crack foundation, Boeing foundation walls with a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Lots going on in hour one of the program. Lots of flame stock, as you would imagine. Uh, to kick off the show today, also got caught up with the Stamps and Blue Jays. Thanks to Matt Rose and Taylor Dingman this afternoon. First hour podcast will be up shortly wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. And as we get closer to next week's NHL draft, obviously the big focus here on Sports Night 960 will be on the Calgary Flames and what decisions they make over the next week. But wanted to put a spotlight on the other Canadian teams around the league that are going to make some noise in the next week or so. And uh, today, taking a look at the Montreal Canadiens, and very happy to welcome in uh, from Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca, it's Eric Angles, who joins us this afternoon to chat all things Habs. Eric, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? My pleasure, Logan. Everything's good. You? We're doing good. We're doing good. It's a busy time of year. We're looking forward to it. And I imagine it's the same in Montreal with a big... Uh, Look, an expectation towards Nashville and what's going to be a big day for the Habs organization. Yeah, I think there's a lot of eyes on that. That's that's to be certain. Thankfully, there's a bit of a distraction between now and then. Some nice weather here in Montreal. People are out. They're playing tennis. They're playing golf. They're walking around, enjoying the city. We just had F1 weekend. And, you know, now it's uh, we get into the most exciting part of the summer, right? The draft, free agency, um, and all those big things that we love in hockey world. Uh, one thing I wanted to start the conversation off with was a piece of news uh, just a couple of days ago from the Montreal Canadiens, and that's bringing back a guy we know well here in Calgary in, in Sean Monaghan. I know things didn't end in Montreal last year, as Sean would have hoped, another injury-riddled season for him. But uh, all you know indications, Eric, seem to be that he feels good and is excited for another shot uh, at a year with Montreal. I guess just give us your thought process on the Habs bringing back Sean for another year. Yeah, listen, it's not riskless, right? Like, uh, you know, most of these types of signings, you would say, okay, it's low risk and, and or no risk and high reward potentially. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't qualify it that way, just given Sean's injury history and what he's been through. You know, the hips apparently didn't have anything to do with the injuries he suffered last year in Montreal where he broke his foot and then had a tear in his groin and had to have surgery. Um, but, you know, going under the knife again and having those injuries does create a certain element of risk. And the risk would be that you're paying him no matter what you're paying him. Uh, close to $2 million, $2 million if he plays over 26 games. Uh, and then all of a sudden something acts up and you've got a hole in your lineup, right? You know, the, the fact that they've signed him designates a spot to him in the lineup. So I wouldn't call it riskless. That said, for the money he's being paid, which is, you know, very digestible as a cap hit, 
Uh, it gives the Canadians tons of flexibility. One, in that they want to be a lot more competitive next year. And Sean, when he was healthy last year, had 17 points in 25 games and was a stabilizing force all across the lineup. Uh, whether he was playing at center or playing on the wing, playing on the penalty kill, playing on the power play, making players around him better, the type of veteran presence you want around some of these young kids that are growing and blossoming in Montreal. So on that end, you know that's something that they're buying at a very low cost. The other is the possibility that in taking him on from Calgary last year and getting a first-round pick in 2025 from the Flames to do so, there is potential that they turn Sean Monaghan one more year at him for a much lesser contract into another first-round pick come next deadline if, for whatever reason, their aim of being that much more competitive and potentially making the playoffs goes sideways by the time they get to the deadline. So, you know, not riskless, but pretty low risk, and the potential for high reward is is huge. It's it's It's... It's a big part of the reason that deal got done as early as it did. And from Sean's perspective, you know, he's got a lot to prove in terms of proving that he can stay healthy and be as, you know, as much of a contributor as he was when he was healthy last year. And uh, if he does that, it's going to be great for him uh, with free agency coming a year from now and the cap going up. And it's going to be great for the Canadians too. Another thing that, that came out of uh, Sean's re-signing is something that I'm sure you've heard a lot of in Montreal now, and that's, uh, a guy that really enjoyed playing under Martin St. Louis. That seems to be a pretty common theme ever since he took over behind the bench in Montreal, Eric. Yeah, and the value is immeasurable, right? Like, okay, if it brings back a guy like Monahan, great. It brought in the college free agents in Sean Farrell, you know, and, and uh, uh, Jaden Schruble, who had a decision to make. Uh, Farrell came out a year early, but the point being, you know, when, when you're able to go to those guys and say, hey, you know, you could potentially go anywhere a year from now or right now, or you can be in a system where you're guaranteed to develop and become a better player because we have guys like Martin Saley coaching the team and Adam Nicholas in development and an AHL staff that's doing a great job. These are huge selling points. And Marty is going to become an even bigger selling point to those big ticket free agents when the Canadians are in a place where they want to spend on the market. Um, traditionally, they've had issues attracting players to play in Montreal. I think it's going to be less and less uh, an issue for them with a guy like that behind the bench. And, you know, when the praise is unanimous and it's not just kind of smoke, <laughs> like there's fire there. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you speak to any player and you don't have to just speak to them. Take a look at the results, right? Like the players that have played under Marty St. Louis by and large have gotten better. And uh, when that's happening and you're feeling good about yourself, you're, you're happy. And happiness is, is the key for all of us. We're all looking for that in our work. Um, no matter what you do, Logan, or me, you know, we all want to be happy in our environments, and that's where we feel we'll be able to thrive, right? So I think Marty St. Louis is such a huge quotient in that equation, and it's a big part of the reason Sean Monahan said he re-signed in Montreal instead of skirting an opportunity to go on the market. And a uh, big part of the reason we saw some of those players that I mentioned before come to Montreal and, and continue their development with the team. And I think it's going to be a big factor moving forward. You talked about this team wanting to see some considerable steps going forward when it comes to results next season. What does that look like, Eric? Does that mean a, a considerable jump in points? Does that mean a, a considerable jump in day-to-day or game-to-game competitiveness? Like what? How would you say that, that Ken Hughes wants to see that played out next year is it just even just seeing this roster healthy for a full year and seeing what they can do 
Yeah, I think it's everything you just said, but the main thing, you know, to make put it in much more vague terms is playing more meaningful games for a longer portion of the season. Okay. Um, it's very clear to me that the Canadians were perfectly comfortable with bottoming out the last two seasons, given where things had gone and what they needed to do in order to turn over the roster. Uh, now some money's coming off the cap. Now some players that are a year older and a little bit more seasoned. And the idea of them trying to bottom out and get a high draft pick for this season is not the aim. If it ends up being what happens because they weren't able to stay healthy and some key guys went down and for whatever reason, um, they competed the way they did last year under St. Louis, but just weren't able to pile up the wins, you know, then they'll accept that and it'll still advance their, their rebuild. Uh, But they clearly are of the mind that, what would advance them the most is remaining as competitive for as long as possible. And, you know, I don't think they're going into the season saying to themselves, we're going to make the playoffs this year, but they are going in setting that as an objective. And so that the the closest that they can get to it, they can measure their success that way. So I don't think it's playoffs or busts for the Canadians. I think we all look at the, the lineup and look at the division they're in and know that it's going to be a really steep hill for them to climb but there's no reason they can't be competitive in that race if they're healthy, especially given what they were able to do when they were unhealthy last year. This is a tough question because I know so much will change between talking to you now and when we get to training camp in, in the late fall. But if you want to see that, if the Habs want to see that kind of improvement, Eric, and you look at the guys that we assume are going to be on the roster for the Habs when the season gets going, who do you see needing to take the biggest jump for this team if they want to get to that level of competitiveness? Uh, That is a really hard question to answer because, you know, you don't know who's going to be here come fall, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But assuming nothing changes and nobody new is coming onto the team from outside, which is obviously not going to be the case, um, I would would circle Kirby Doc. Uh, I would circle that player and say, you know, if he continues to – build on what he showed last season he can be a real difference maker and you have a one-two punch up the middle of suzuki and doc and they're able to create the productivity around them um, with the way they make players around them better uh, then you're going to be naturally a better team i'm a big believer you win up the middle and they've got their work cut out for them up the middle in the division they're playing in uh <laughs> you look around ottawa even but toronto boston uh buffalo you know, the competition is stiff and they need to be able to depend on Suzuki for sure, uh, which I think, you know, is a given they're, they're going to be able to. And Doc, if he shows what he did last year and continues to build on that, can really become a huge difference maker. On the back end, you know, I think all those guys are quite young. Uh, you've got Gooley, Harris, Barron, uh, Kovacevic, Jack Guy. Uh, to me, it's looking at one or two of those guys and say, okay, who's going to emerge outside of Gooley actually as a top four defenseman? You know, I think all of them have shown that they have the ability to be really good five, six defensemen in the NHL, even at this stage of their careers. But who among them has the potential to move into the top four and eat up some minutes and become that much better of a player to make a difference? Uh, obviously, they're going to need a repeat performance from Samuel Montombo and Nets. Uh, Jake Allen's going to have to be a serviceable 1B in that situation if they don't improve in the goaltending. But I'm really circling Doc, and I'm circling one of that group of defensemen behind Gooley. 
and saying who's going to step up. And I, I am feeling Jack is, is probably the most primed to do that. But it takes time for young defensemen, even if they've shown progress in their first year, to really get their footing in the NHL and feel that comfort zone where they can eat up 18 to 22 minutes a night and be comfortable every single night doing that. So looking forward to seeing who steps up there. Eric Engels along with us, chatting all things Montreal Canadiens, Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca. When we get to the draft floor next week, Eric, and unless something changes that happens, we'll have two picks in the first round. Uh, they've got Florida's at 31 and, of course, their own pick coming in at number five overall. I find that to be an incredibly intriguing spot for Montreal because we think we know a, a couple of names that are for sure going to be off the board by the time that it gets to Montreal, but it feels like Ken Hughes and the management staff are going to have a pretty wide array of, of players that they're going to be able to select at that number five spot if, they, if, they, if they're still there when it gets to number five. Yeah, you said it. It took us 14 minutes to get there, but we're there on the <laughs> sujet du jour, as we would say here in Montreal. Um, look, you have two centers at the top end of the draft and Leo Carlson and Will Smith that, depending on who you speak to, are guaranteed to be in the top four. But if one of them slips out to the top five, I think you're looking at the next Montreal Canadian. If both those guys go before then and the Canadians are unable to move up, which I'm highly skeptical they'll be able to move up to get one of them, you have to wonder how they see a kid like Dalibor Dvorsky. Um, and if they're okay with – and if they see him in a way that he's not as good as a winger they might be able to take or a defenseman they might be able to take, then you know they're going to have to continue searching for depth at the middle. Because even with that, what I said about Suzuki and Doc, you just can't have enough of those good players. Like I said, I think you win up the middle. And that's where the Dubois situation becomes more interesting. You know, Right now, before they get to a situation where they know who's available to them at five, I can't see them making a move with Winnipeg to get Pierre-Luc Dubois. But if they get to five because they were unable to move up to four or two or three or whatever it is, which, I again, I don't think they're going to be able to move up to those positions. I just We haven't seen anybody move up to those positions in you know, two decades. Um, and it gets really interesting. Who are they going to take? And if they're unable to fill the center quotient, do they come back to Winnipeg and say, all right, we're, we're willing to pay a bit more to get that player? Because you can talk about a million different ways to advance – the build that they've embarked on. But to me, the number one way is to solidify the middle of the ice. And they've got a really good start with Suzuki and with Doc and with Owen Beck, who's coming. Um, they've got Jake Evans in the lineup. They've got Monaghan signed to some insurance. They've got Christian Dvorak, who's still a member of their team right now. You can't have enough. And you can't have enough at the top end. So, you know, I think those two things are linked. I don't. I can't guarantee that if they don't get a center within the top five, that they'll go after Pierre Luc Dubois. Mm -hmm. I do think it'll become more intriguing to them though if they get to five and they remain in place and they're not moving down, and they decide to take a winger or a defenseman, and feel as though they have a legitimate chance to get Pierre Luc Dubois if they up their offering a little bit. I could say this. I don't see any scenario by which they're trading Kirby Doc in that deal. I know a lot of people will talk about that player as that yeah. comes around. I don't see any way they're trading one of their guys like uh, Gooley or Jacki. Um, but a lot of other things could be on the table here. So we'll see how that shakes up. 
Uh, just two more for you, Eric, and uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this uh, when it comes to Montreal at five, and you wrote about it on your draft preview at sportsnet.ca, and it's we're not scratching the you know, Mad Faye Mitchkoff off the board for Montreal if it's there at five. How intrigued are you about the possibility that that could be a name that the Habs select at number five? You know, you know what, Logan? Like, I've spoken to a lot of people in the hockey world over the last couple of weeks, and most of them have said to me, they don't see the Canadians taking Mitchkoff. Okay. The reason I'm not scratching them off just yet is because there's still a lot of work to be done in the discovery phase before they get to the draft. You know, Mishkov is reportedly coming in to the United States Saturday. He's got meetings lined up with teams, presumably all of them in the top 10, including Montreal, although nobody in Montreal is confirming that. I don't think they want to tip their hand one way or the other. And, nobody's drafting this kid before getting to know something about him that they haven't been able to discover over the last number of months and years. And, and that's going to get through the interview process and talking. So I think any noise you hear around the player right now and what Montreal's interested uh, interest is or lack of interest is has to be couched in that there's a lot of knowledge that they, they need to ascertain before making a call one way or the other on the player. And that's provided he's available at five. You know, there might be a team in the top four after those conversations that says, uh, okay, we like the talent all along. Now we know more about the person and we like it more and we're going to take it. So we'll see where that goes. But I think it would be premature at this point to say the Canadians are not going to take him. The, the risk involved is obvious. And I, I spoke to somebody yesterday who's a lead amateur scout for another team who said, at the end of the day, any decision like that goes all the way up the chain to ownership. So, We'll see where that all. Sh- I mean, it's, this is obviously the most dramatic storyline of this draft, mm-hmm. right? It's we kind of know who those top four or five guys are. There's a belief that Michkov deserves to have his name among it, and the real question is who's going to step up and say we'll take on the risks associated with it. It's not just the contract. It's not just the fact that he might only come in three years, or he might have a possibility of extending in Russia. It is the uncertainty regarding the attack that Russia has waged on Ukraine and the possibility that somebody or something could get in the way of whatever best laid plans are there. So I don't think there's that much concern about, oh, you know, if, if, if he's willing to come in three years from now. Uh, I think a lot of teams love the idea of him coming in three years as a more developed product on an entry-level deal for the following three years. Yeah, But there's a, there's a lot of unknown and a lot of risk involved that it falls outside of the contractual situation. So we'll see what teams are able to gather in terms of information. And I I think the Canadians are going to do a lot of homework on that before making any decision one way or the other. And like I said, final stamp of approval comes from the owner. If he doesn't want to have anything to do with it, it's case closed. And not just for the Canadians, for any team that's considering Matt Bay Mitchcock. Uh, last one before we let you go, Eric. Uh, quickly after we finish the draft, it'll be into free agency. Uh, a couple of interesting names still around the halves when it comes to UFA, RFA status. Uh, any word uh, from your end as to what might happen with a guy like Jonathan Drouin? I know uh, you're talking about Gurianov's an RFA with Arbrights, and I think Paul Byron's a UFA as well. What kind of work does Ken Hughes have to do before a free agency opens up on the 1st of July? Uh, not a whole lot. I think the guys who are expiring are likely to head to market. I think it's very unlikely you'll see Jonathan Drew in Montreal again and hope 
you see him in the league at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would think somebody might take a flyer and say, you know, on a low cost one year deal for him to prove something to us, it's worth the risk. And he's, he can be a productive player. Um, I just think Montreal go in a different direction in that case. We'll, we'll see what happens. I don't have any names circled among the free agents right now. I think some experience on defense might be something they look to fill, um, but we're not talking about Montreal being big players uh, in terms of the big money guys that might be available in free agency. Eric, really appreciate the time. Thank you for hopping on with us today. Uh, enjoy the next couple of days. I know uh, it'll get busy again next week once we dive into the draft and free agency. Uh, take care, and thanks again for doing this today, man. My pleasure. Be well. Thanks. Eric Angles joining us from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. The Montreal Canadiens select 5th and 31st in the upcoming draft. And as you heard from Eric there, the rumors around Pierre-Luc Dubois still swirling with this team. Can they bring him in at a reasonable cost to really solidify a team down the middle uh, with Kirby Doc, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and potentially Nick Suzuki down the middle? It looks good for Montreal going forward, but what does Pierre-Luc Dubois want in all of this? Is he really a player that wants a, a max deal? What's it going to cost from the Winnipeg Jets to get that done? Is it the number five overall pick? Is that too much to pay if you're the Montreal Canadiens? And as we talked about off the start with Eric, they want to see considerable growth in Montreal. I think if we're talking about a team that's picking fifth again next year, talk about some things that went majorly wrong with the Montreal Canadiens. I'm really intrigued by what they're going to do over the next week or so here. And I, I think in the next season with all that young talent, talk about taking that next step. Can Mark Dan St. Louis be the guy that does that with a lot of the young Habs? They're going to be a fun team to watch. Thank you to Eric for joining us. Uh, once again, down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. We will come back around the corner. Very excited to close out the hour. We'll chat with Stan Peters defensive lineman James Vodders next. He joins Sportsnet today around the corner here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. You're listening to Sportsnet today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960. The fan. Our right, closing out hour two of the program at Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you. Stamps and Riders this Saturday at McMahon Stadium. Week three for the Stamps. One and one. They started the season off with a loss to BC. Bounced back last week with a win against the Ottawa Red Blacks. And now take on their West Division rivals on Saturday. Really looking forward to that. And uh, to break things down, help us uh, chat some Stampeders football right now. And chat a couple of cool initiatives he's involved with uh, ahead of this weekend's game as well. Uh, very happy to go down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Welcome in Stan Peters defensive lineman James Vodders. James, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? No problem. Doing great. How are you? I'm great. Uh, thank you for the time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're back in the CFL, your second stint with the Calgary Stan Peters. How has it been the first couple of weeks being back with the team, man? Uh, it's been good getting in the groove of things. Um, in any situation, like we're coming off of a little break and you know, coming back from playing a different game, there's some adjustments, but I'm glad to be with guys like Derek Wigan and Mike Rose and uh, Julian Hauser and, you know, getting chemistry going with those guys, and uh, hopefully we can excel this weekend. How was the uh, NFL experience for you? I apologize. I know you've probably talked about this a lot since coming back, but having a chance to talk to you, I'm curious from your perspective what those few years uh, in the NFL were like to you and how they feel you maybe helped your career go forward. Well, it's a grind more than anything. Um, I think it's one of those situations where, you know, you're not going to get 
a lot of reps at practice, but you have to be ready at all times. You know, sometimes you'll be down, sometimes you'll be up. I was playing in a lot of a reserve role, but like, you know, just being able to play with, you know, top guys as a position, future Hall of Famers, and just, I guess, you know, not feel like you're from the outside looking in on the entire uh, NFL process and the NFL experience. It brings a lot of peace of mind, and it's, you can learn a lot in the, in the process as well. Was it an easy decision for you to come back to Calgary uh, after you decided you were going to come back to the CFL? Yeah, it was. I mean, Calgary, you know, I feel like it was a place where I enjoyed playing football before, and it's nice to be back. And, you know, the, a lot of the staff is the same as far as head coach and defensive coordinator being guys that uh, that were there when I was there before and my teammates being guys that were there before too, at least in my position room. So I think it was something that – Coming back from taking a year off in 2022, it was all about comfort for me and uh, um, getting very comfortable. Uh, you guys picked up your first win of the season uh, last week against Ottawa. It was a really strong defensive performance from you guys, James. Just looking back on that win last week, what did you guys think you were able to do uh, more effectively against Ottawa that maybe you didn't do against BC in week one? Well, first of all, I think we started faster just as a team, both on offense and on defense. Um, being ahead in that game most of the game made it a lot easier than to be playing from behind. And uh, I just think that, you know, the coaches made good adjustments. We made good adjustments as players, as, and we just want to play a really good team offense, good team defense, and, uh, you know, continue to push to play well on special teams. So I'm glad we were able to get the win, and uh, hopefully we can continue that on Saturday. You talked about some of the guys on that uh, defensive line with you and, and Mike Rose and Derek Wigan and Julian House there. Just talk about the kind of talent that you see across that line from you when you line up. I know a couple of those guys are, are longtime Stampeders and have been pretty dominant forces in this league for a long time. Well, I mean, one thing that I think comes to mind when I think about our D-line is experience. I think that we have to do our best to take advantage of our, take advantage of our strengths. And I think our strength is experience, you know, being able to, you know, understand each other, what each other wants to do, being able to play, you know, as a unit. And I think when you've done that uh, on a consistent basis over the course of, uh, you know, longer than average careers, I think you learn things and you are able to get things done that, you know, you may not be able to do with less, with less experience. Uh, Juwan Simpson's your D-line coach. It's his first year back in Calgary coaching on the defensive line. What's it been like having Juwan as a coach, James? Well, uh, he's from the southern part of the United States. I'm from the southern part of the United States. And I think we, uh, we having that in common makes things a little bit easier, but also like having someone that's you know been in, been in your shoes as far as like being a player and being in Calgary and understanding you know tradition uh, and culture. Uh, and Coach always harps on culture as something that we try to establish, and we're, uh, you know, basically in the storming phase of trying to establish. What kind of opinion? Is it easier sometimes having a coach that, that's been in those shoes and sort of walked the same path that you guys have when it comes to what he's trying to relate to you guys and trying to bring that defense together as a whole like Jawan would be? Uh, could you repeat the question, please? Sorry. Yeah, so just talk about, you know, a bit about how you, know, you just talked about Jawan's experience, I guess, in the league and, I'm just curious how much that relates to you guys as players and how it's easier maybe for him when he's trying to get a message across, knowing that he's been there and he's filled those shoes before. Well, I think, number one, it makes everything more relatable. And one thing that I'll say is respect. Like, he respects the job that we have to do just because, you know, he's been in our shoes and we respect what he his opinion on a lot of things just because he understands the mentality that it takes, you know, to get the job done. So 
obviously, like, the same way that you would have um, a conversation with uh, another player or a teammate uh, about what, what the assignment is, I'm glad that we're able to be on the same page and, you know, have discussions about our assignments and have meetings rather than it always being a lecture. Uh, James, you mentioned we got the Saskatchewan Rough Riders coming to town on Saturday. You guys have had a, a week to prepare. What uh, challenges are you expecting from this Rough Riders group coming up uh, on Saturday night? Uh, I mean, you know, every game is a challenge, and you know, this game is always a big game. And you know, sitting at uh, 500 as as our record stands right now, you know, going into the bye week, we'd much rather be sitting at two and one than sitting at one and two. So I think just coming off of a semi long week and finding a way to start fast and, uh, you know, really establish, you know, the the trajectory that we want our season to be on going forward. I think this Saturday is a very important game in, uh, in our journey to do that. Uh, also an important game off the field and something that you're involved with. Uh, it's the Pure Leader Tackle Hunger Game, uh, helping out the Calgary Food Bank. There's been a massive spike in demand from the Food Bank, James. And just tell me why you decided uh, that the Tackle Hunger Program and the Calgary Food Bank was something that you wanted to put your name behind. Well, um, you know, one of the most basic needs uh, for us as human beings is having food to eat. And, you know, with inflation being what it is, food prices up more than 8%. The Calgary Food Bank being up 18% in demand from last year, I think that it's it's obvious that this is a that this is a growing issue, and also like even more numbers on it, like they're they're creating 600 emergency food hampers a day, which is an all-time high, and there's like a 14-day wait for a food hamper. So I just I just see that as something that's you know very that's that's very important for us to kind of emphasize. Like, and I'm glad that we have a chance to help with the food drive by uh, having people bring uh, non-perishable goods to the game on, on Saturday, just because, you know, I feel like sports is something that's able to transcend a lot of, um, you know, differences that people may have. And, you know, this, this cause is very important to me just because it's a, it's a way that us as Stampeders and us as professional athletes are able to use our platform and use the, the event of a football game to um, raise awareness and to um, actually create um, actual change and, and, and collect food for the food bank. Uh, James, I understand you would have stopped by the Calgary Food Bank this afternoon. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, sir. What was it like uh, getting to see that experience firsthand? You talked about some of those numbers, and it's, it's crazy, you know, waiting two weeks for those hampers and the amount that they're doing every day. What was it like seeing it firsthand and seeing what those guys are doing on a day-to-day basis to, to help those people who need that food? Well, first of all, I want to thank the, uh, the volunteers. There's a nice-sized group of volunteers there that are just, um, you know, giving their own time to try and, and, and help out. And just seeing the all the inner workings of the process, you know, the size of the warehouse, how quickly they cleared out. The entire warehouse was cleared out in a matter of four weeks, and there's a lot of food in there. It looks like Costco in there. So just by <laughs> understanding the understanding the need and understanding the magnitude of uh, of the work they're getting done there, and honestly, the food looks pretty good too. So I'm, I'm I was just interested to see the uh, the efficiency with which they're working, and that they're able to have volunteers that are able to work in those roles. You talked about being able to use your platform as a player and, and helping people like that. Has that always been something that's been important to you since you got into pro football? I mean, it's been important to me since since I really started, even all the way back in high school. And, you know, as as I was saying before, when you're, you know, fighting to get a roster spot, it makes it 
a lot more difficult to do those things because you don't know if you'll be there the next day. So what I appreciate most is that, uh, you know, being in Calgary and uh, being in the role that I'm in on the team, it gives me the freedom and the flexibility to be able to give my time and energy to uh, causes in the community because uh, it's a luxury that, uh, unfortunately, I haven't always had. Uh, James, really appreciate the time today, man. Thank you for hopping on. Thank you for helping out uh, in the Calgary community. I know as, as somebody that's watched the CFL my entire life in the Stampeders, there's so many Stamps fans that were excited to have you back. Best of luck on Saturday against the Rough Riders, hey? Appreciate that. Thank you. Take care. James Vauder is joining us on the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline, Calgary Stampeders defensive lineman, part of the Purelator Tackle Hunger Drive, which is happening this Saturday as part of the Stampeders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. If you're heading down to McMahon Stadium, please bring with you a non-perishable food item. I believe they'll also be taking donations uh, at the booth there at uh, McMahon Stadium. But if you can help out, uh, Jim's giving you some of the numbers there. Two-week wait uh, for food hampers, 600 of those going out a day. Uh, groceries are an incredibly expensive thing right now, and it's not a shame for you to use the Calgary Food Bank uh, if you need it. And I hope that people realize that it's a resource that we're so lucky to have, and it's not a shameful thing for you to go out there and use it. It's a really tough time to make ends meet and to be able to get a proper meal right now and to have a guy like James Waters behind that for the Calgary Stampeders is really, really cool. And I think uh, a guy who's definitely using his platform in a, in a great way uh, best of luck to James and the Stampeders again. They take on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders Saturday night at McMahon Stadium. Make sure to bring uh, a non-perishable food item or bring a donation uh, for the Purelator Tackle Hunger Purelator Tackle Hunger Drive. Excuse me, uh, going on before the Stampeders and the Rough Riders on Saturday. This is Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Uh, look, we've had lots of Flames talk today. The show began in hour one with a major discussion. Around Frank Saravalli, NHL insider from Frank uh, from Daily Faceoff, who joined Russick and Rose earlier today, talking about a league sense around Hannafin, Backlund, and Lindholm, that they were getting a sense that maybe the three of them were leaning more towards not re-signing with the Calgary Flames. That created a stir among Flames fans, and before the show is even out on this Thursday afternoon, we're going to add to it NHL insider Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet. And Hockey Night in Canada uh, tweeting out just about 12 minutes ago, there is word this afternoon that Calgary has made Tyler Toffoli available for trade. So, along with the news today that perhaps some of those key UFAs leaning towards not re-signing with the Calgary Flames, you can now add Tyler Toffoli, at least according to Elliot Friedman, uh, to the trade market uh, as Calgary has apparently made their leading scorer from last season available for trade and what an interesting name that one is to add to this he's another one of those pending ufas next season and one that is coming off of a career high season in 82 games he was by far the most consistent offensive threat that the calgary flames had he's 31 years old now 34 goals 39 assists last season for 73 points he would put up 25 of those points on the power play, 268 shots, his shooting percentage just above his NHL's career average. He usually averages around 11.2%. He was up to 12.7% last season. Of course, uh, a longtime uh, player under Daryl Sutter, whether it be in Calgary or during his time in L.A., and uh, now appears as though uh, Tyler Toffoli, another one of those UFAs that we could see 
potentially on his way out uh, for the Flames as Elliot Friedman and Frank Cervelli on the uh, the trade watch now. Tyler Toffoli's name and look, <laughs> I, I I can't again until all of these happen. I said this earlier. It's conjecture. We're we're talking about things that haven't happened yet and feelings around the league. If if you were going to move Tyler Toffoli, I'll say this: now is probably the time to do it. He's a pending UFA next season. He's at a very reasonable price. I think, given that thirty-one years old, I think Tyler Toffoli would probably be open to talking about an extension somewhere if the the destination was right. Uh, he's a goal scorer that teams covet. That's always a big thing in this league. And for the Calgary Flames, you're selling high on a guy, right? It's unfortunately not like the Elias Lindholm situation. I think Lindholm still contains a ton of value, but it's not like you're trading him after his 40-goal season. For the Flames, you're trading Tyler Toffoli potentially coming off of his best NHL season and heading into a draft where the free agent class that follows isn't very strong as far as goal scoring options go. If you're an NHL team, what are your options? Are you going to take a chance on a Vladimir Tarasenko, a Max Pacioretty coming off some big injuries in Carolina? Maybe, but I would I would bet that Tyler Toffoli is a much more reliable option than either of those guys and many of the guys that would be listed under scoring help options in free agency. I, just, I think it, it, we're getting closer and closer to talking about Craig Conroy being one of, if not the busiest guys when it comes to what happens in Nashville next week at Bridgestone Arena. And could we see the Calgary Flames selecting more than once when it comes to the first round uh, of the NHL draft? I, I don't know what happens if Craig Conroy is looking for future returns. Can he make hockey trades? happened with some of these guys it's a mystery right now but it's one that we're gonna have to monitor really really closely because as of right now the list just continues to grow when it comes to calgary flames and guys who are leaning towards or have told the flames one way or another that they don't want to be back next season so that's the latest news coming down right now uh frank saravalli uh starting it and elliot freeman jumping in on it if you missed it uh, just a couple moments ago, uh, Elliot Friedman tweeting out that there's word this afternoon at Calgary has made Tyler Toffoli available for trade. Man, it just doesn't end, apparently, today. It's, it's one of those days where Mitch Love has accepted a, an assistant coaching job with the uh, Washington Capitals under Spencer Carberry. We took the entire first segment talking about Lindholm and Backlund and Hannafin and before we even get out of here in the two hours, we're now throwing Tyler Toffoli into the mix. And maybe this is, you know, the destination or the... I feel like it's decisions being forced upon Craig Conroy in a lot of ways. If, if you have all these guys telling you that you, they don't want to come back, what are you to do if you're the GM? You've already said that you don't want to go down the same road that you went down with Johnny Gaudreau, but it's more than just one guy. Now you're talking about perhaps a, a mass exodus of talent out of Calgary and how you navigate that over the next two weeks, I think is going to be incredibly important. And it's a very tough spot. I don't envy Craig Conroy in the slightest over the next couple of weeks, because as this news starts to come out and it gets 
you know, run onto sportsnet.ca and it gets put all over social media. Other GMs see that. Other GMs are aware. And I imagine one of the busiest phones right now across the entire NHL is that of Craig Conroy asking about not only we've mentioned those guys, but that's not even the end of the list. What about a Nikita Zadorov? What about a, a Chris Tanev? Those are, are other names on that list, if you're the Calgary Flames, that you have to start thinking about now. We, we've talked about Noah Hannafin for the last week, but it, it feels like that might have just been the start of this thing. And if it is, what do you look like on the other side of it? I, I said earlier, and I still believe that last year, getting a sort of comparable NHL return to, to remain in a competitive window for Matthew Kachuk is an outlier. I think in most of these deals, you're talking about teams offering up futures, draft picks, prospects, that sort of thing. I, I just I don't know how many hockey trades are out there to be made, whether it's for Tyler Toffoli, whether it's for Elias Lindholm. It's just a, such a tight rope for, for Craig to walk, and... You want to make sure you you do it right. You talked about remaining competitive when you met with the media to start your tenure as as the GM. But if the cards are played out in front of you like they appear to be, you you might not have a choice if you're the Calgary Flames GM, and we'll have to wait and see how this goes down. I said this earlier, and I'll say it again. I still think at this point, if you're Craig Conroy emphasizing guys – that want to be in Calgary now is going to be a priority setting this organization up, whatever it looks like, whether it is young guys, whether it is comparable returns in player wise, whatever it is, I I think that that's going to be a major question for this organization to answer as to what led to this and, and how they're going to come out of it on the other side, because I, I can't remember talking about, back-to-back summers and we were I think we were half kidding when we said that last summer was you know going to be hard to replace and then all of a sudden we started this summer off with a new GM and a head coach and thought oh we're kind of replicating last summer but we're doing it this time uh in the front office and now apparently we might be doing it on the ice too (laughs) that is absolutely insane to think about the kind of turnaround uh, that we might see here. A couple on the text line at 960-960 before we get out of here. Uh, just sort of reacting to uh, the latest from Elliot Friedman. Uh, this one says, if you're turning Tyler Foley, you're talking about a top 20 pick for sure. Uh, Matt and Cochran says, hey, Huska, best of luck in the coming season. Uh, and this one says, if this doesn't spell rebuild for the Calgary Flames, I give up all hope. And, and look, I don't, I have no idea if this spells Rebuild for the team. I don't know if it's retool. I don't know what wording it looks like. But I'm pretty confident now more than ever that this team is going in a direction that's going to look, it's going to have it look incredibly different than I, I thought it was going to a couple weeks ago. When you got into talking to the UFAs, you thought for sure, okay, there's going to be a couple that aren't going to be here. That's just how these things go. But as you continue to add to the list, I. I, I continue to sit here and, and just have no idea how this plays out over the next two weeks. Does it play out over the summer? Are we talking about Craig Connery being busy at the draft because it's a deeper draft? I really don't know. There are so many options in front of him, and 
it feels like this is now a tipping point when it comes to what happens and what decisions Craig Conroy has to make for this organization. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch, and we're going to be on top of it here on Sportsnet 960. And it really feels as though that coverage in Nashville when Steinberg and, and Vickers get there uh, could be one of uh, the most important ones that we're talking about uh, in a long time for the Calgary Flames. Uh, we're going to get out of here. I'm going to pass things over to the guys for a uh, Flames Talk Edition on this Thursday. They have literally six hours of content to push into two hours. I'm sure they'll find a way. I want to thank uh, Eric Ingalls for joining us. I want to thank James Vaughters for joining us this afternoon. Both of them doing so down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. And a Stamps Report with Natty Rose. A Jay's Report with Taylor Dingman. We'll be back on a Friday edition of Sportsnet Today. Except we'll be doing it from Veranda YYC. Excited to get out for the guys at Veranda on a Friday. Me and Pat get to hang out uh, on a patio if the weather's nice. Sample some vacay brew, perhaps. Some food. We'll let you know all about what we're doing tomorrow. And uh, I can only imagine we'll continue to dive into this Flames news. Steinberg and Vickers are next. Thanks for tuning in. Sportsnet Today will be back tomorrow right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.